the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It is a Wednesday and it's at the end of the month, which means... By the time we get out of here, we will be handing out some awards. We will be naming our Cover 3 podcast Player of the Month for November, our Team of the Month for November, our Coach of the Month, and our Game of the Month, plus everyone's favorite, the Fornellis of the Month for the month of November. Also, we are going to be taking a deeper dive into some of these big conference championship showdowns, some of the keys to the matchups, some of the uh, the angles that you want to be sure to keep an eye on, not necessarily our picks, because, of course, we are going to save those for our conference championship locks Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. We already got into USC and Utah, that rematch. Another rematch to discuss here in a little bit. Uh, we got into that in Monday's show. If you've not gotten a chance, be sure to go and check that out. Or you can even see the uh, the conversation broken out solo on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash cover three. But before we dig into this, I wanted to at least um, give a reference because I know we've got some unique insight into one of the coaching hires that was announced late on Tuesday night as Trent Dilfer has been named either officially or is expected to be named shortly here, the new head coach at UAB. You'll remember Bill Clark stepped down because of health reasons. Brian Vincent takes over as the interim head coach that does a, a, I would say a a pretty good job. I don't, I don't don't have a good grade for uh, what he did, but considering the circumstances, I thought that this was a good UAB team. They were pretty competitive, got some close losses, but the Blazers, they finish out their season. Trent Dilfer, will be the head coach moving forward. I know we've got some uh, some personal experience here with Dilfer, both from the recruiting cycle and also uh, from from the NFL and, and working at ESPN and the like. So I wanted to see, you know, where was everyone's head at? Were you surprised at all when you see 
that Trent Dilfer is going to be taking over a UAB job, a program that is going to be headed to the American Athletic Conference soon and will be you know, vying for a position for one of those top six conference championship spots in the new expanded college football playoff. Uh, what do we make of Trent Dilfer to UAB? I think it's interesting. I like it. Um, I think UAB is a place that a splashy name helps them where it matters, and that's bringing in talent. You know, I think it helps in the recruiting world. Somebody who's pretty dialed in and connected with it through his ties from Elite 11. I would describe Trent Dilfer as a football junkie. He's a guy, whether he was working at ESPN, whether he was doing the stuff with the Elite 11, or, you know, in the past few years as a high school football coach, he loves the game of football. He's never really left it. You know, some guys leave for a time. He's been around it, you know, kind of eat, sleep, drink football 24-7, you know, 365. So I think he's not going to have any problems getting up to scheme. He's not going to have any problems recruiting. The only thing you question is, is the experience factor, but coaching in high school, we've seen other coaches make that leap, maybe not directly to a job of this magnitude, but he's got some experience, at least in-game decisions, managing players, you know, attitudes. And it, apparently it looks like he might have some issues that he's going to have to deal with as there was a push from some of the players to Foster. keep Vincent. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's going to be his first challenge. But I think it makes a lot of sense. And now the American with this new landscape, it's going to be interesting to see who feels the void left by these powerhouses that are leaving, which traditionally have been at the top of the conference. Yeah, I mean, I got to know Trent. You know, decently well, just from covering the Elite Eleven every year, which is you know you're, you're spending a couple of days out there, you know, a lot of time just during the downtime chatting him up. Uh, I, Danny's point about him being a football junkie is is definitely right. Like he just loves talking ball all the time. I I don't think he makes a, a real big bag off Elite Eleven stuff, right? He, he's out there because he's interested in it. Obviously, I think some of those Elite Eleven quarter like like quarterback contacts could help him there at UAB as they go into the new American. You know, this job is. Uh, is going to be a really challenging one. You know, I don't think that UAB had good, had many uh, many good candidates. I, I I know like my old my old colleague Stephen Godfrey had mentioned like Justin Fuente or Tyson Helton, who, who's at Western Kentucky. Obviously, like trying to get into the American as opposed to staying in CUSA is is certainly something that I think all, all coaches would want to do. Um, but this is going to be a really difficult job going forward. I don't know that they really have the full backing of everybody who has UAB's best interest at heart, right? Like the people that run UAB, do they really run it? Remember this program got shut down, right? And then it, it, it got brought back. But um, that league, by the way, just to refresh everybody, the new American, because UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston are leaving for the Big 12, you're going to have East Carolina, Memphis, USF, SMU, Temple, Tulane, Tulsa, uh, and then add to that UAB, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, Rice and UTSA. I mean, UAB is definitely not a top third job in the new American and arguably not a top half job, depending on how you want to break it down. That That's going to have a lot of challenges. So I, I'm, they may need to go outside the box. I'm, I'm curious as to how this will work. Yeah, it, it is going to be interesting to follow. And I think that <clears throat> one way to look at it is I, I have no idea if it'll work, of course, my standard line. But if UTSA, like you mentioned, some other schools that are going to be in the American, if UTSA, North Texas, Rice, if they hire a high school coach that nobody's ever heard of, everybody just shrugs it off. But since it's Trent Dilfer and people know him from his time in the NFL, 
it's like, what are they doing? It's crazy. That guy, he was on the Ravens. He won a Super Bowl. Their defense won the Super Bowl. What the hell does any of that have to do with the fact of whether he can be a coach at a college football program or not? So it's one of those things where it's like his name is going to bring attention to the program both negatively and positively. But I think it'll be far more positive because, as you mentioned, like his time at Elite 11 – that's going to give him a lot of connections on the recruiting trails with quarterbacks. And what is the one thing that you could really use at any college football program, particularly in a G5 school? You get yourself a good quarterback, you've got a pretty big advantage on a lot of the other schools you're going to be playing. So I think it could work out. And plus, from everybody I've talked to, because you know he's been coaching at Lipscomb in the Nashville area, Everybody I've talked to since he took over that program, he's been doing a very good job there. So, I mean, obviously there's a difference between high school and college. We're going to have to see what kind of staff he puts together, the recruiting and all that kind of stuff. But I think this could be a very good hire for UAB. And if it doesn't work out, it's no different than any other move we're going to see this offseason. You know, I, I don't I don't know what Bill Clark was making, but it also strikes me that, you know, Dilfer played in the league for, for quite a mm-hmm. long time. Um, you you may be able to assemble, a, and I'm not trying to take money out of his pocket here. Uh, so, Trent, if you see me at Elite 11 next year, apologies. Um, but it does strike me as, uh, would you be able to assemble a better quality staff if, like, look what Charlotte did with, with Biff Pogge, right? Mm-hmm. He's independently wealthy. I expect Charlotte to be able to assemble a better staff than they otherwise could because Pogge used to run a hedge fund and has hundreds of millions of dollars, right? I don't know that Trent has hundreds of millions, but... He probably is not like, hey, I have to, this is my retirement job, right? Like you may be able to get a little bit better quality staff because you can pay the head coach slightly less, potentially. If I'm the AD, this is part of the pitch, right? So we can get a better quality staff around you, maybe get a couple more guys who know what they're doing, have coached the college level, and build it out that way. So um, the pride of UAB, Marcus Nelson, just just an absolute goat. Uh, he, he passed along a note, and I, I have to just fact check it here, here live on air. Lipscomb Academy takes football pretty seriously. Isn't that like a pretty like strong football program within that sort of private Tennessee high school world? And he did have uh, during his time there a thirty-eight and eight record. Also won himself a state championship. Is, does but does that check out? Does that sound right in terms of the sort of where? Yeah, like they they, they definitely care about football there for sure. Um, and I will note that Bill Clark was Cusa's highest paid head coach. All right. Um, at least per this 2018 article when he was making 1.65 million. Uh, the new one, looking for Clark here. Just, just get a ballpark of what UAB paid. Uh, Bill Clark was making 1.55 per this 2021 article. Seth Luttrell um, making 1.9. I guarantee you, Rhett Lashley and Gus and Silverfield and the top programs in the American are paying their coaches more than 1.5. Yes. I will say though, that's still more than I thought. That's still more than I thought Bill Clark would have been getting honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's go ahead and start diving into some of these big game previews for the weekend ahead. We, again, we already hit on Friday night's game in Las Vegas, Utah and USC, the rematch. Now let's go to another rematch as we have TCU and Kansas State. And this is, um, by the way, we didn't spend a ton of time on TCU pasting Iowa State, but it is kind of funny that they had to face another backup quarterback in the second half, right? <laughs> I mean, they just, they, yeah, they just, we can't get past this. But I mentioned that because 
uh, we remember that the quarterback injuries played a huge role in the way that TCU Kansas State unfolded the first time. We have a little bit of injury news because according to Kansas State, it's looking like Adrian Martinez will be available for this Big 12 championship game. But Will Howard will be the starting quarterback for this Big 12 championship game. Uh, as we look at the rematch between these two teams, what are some of the burning questions about how these teams are going to line up against each other? It better stay Adrian Martinez available, as in if something happens to Will Howard gets hurt, Adrian Martinez is available in relief because – we saw what happened when they went back to Adrian Martinez. What was it, the Texas game when you know it wasn't anywhere near the same? And we know what the offense looks like with Adrian Martinez. It's pretty one-dimensional. I guess two-dimensional with him and Deuce Vaughn, but you don't have the third dimension of a pass game that you have with Will Howard. So to me, that is one edge that if Will Howard's healthy the whole game, Kansas State looks like a much better offense. And what they saw a lot of when they were down 28-10 to 10 in the first matchup in the regular season – I think that's going to be critical in this one. I think it's it sounds cliche, but I do think both of these offenses want to run the football, either with Deuce Vaughn or Kendra Miller. And the one that can make the other team at least a little bit more one-dimensional take away that rush element, because as good as Max Duggan has been, it helps when you have a running back who's who's going off. And then I think the health of Quentin Johnson remains like how healthy is he? Is he 100%? What's his status going to be? Those are kind of going to be some of the key features of this game. It, it, it might, if like you don't follow these teams that closely, it might surprise you based on the way that they're covered that TCU's actually been the better running team as far as like success rate and EPA and that kind of stuff. Because you hear a lot about Max Duggan, you hear a lot about Quentin Johnson, you don't hear nearly as much about Kendry Miller yet when you think of Kansas State. You know, you think of Deuce Vaughn, you think of when Adrian Martinez was running the offense and how that run, because they do run the ball so often. But TCU, even though it's more of a passing team, better running the ball. But I, I think, and this is basic as hell, but when I look at this game, it's it's very much a coin flip. Like, Bud, you've talked about it a lot, how people, like, you thought Kansas State could be favored in this. Maybe you even think Kansas State should be favored. And we talked about how the spread was going to be smaller than most people expected. And it's sitting at two and a half. I think this game is something of a coin flip. I think I like TCU because it is battle-tested and it has shown us time and time and time again that it's ready to be in these situations. And when it's, you know, nut-cutting time, TCU is ready to play. But I, I think that this is really going to come down to which defense manages to stop. Because both of these teams, like, despite their styles on offense, they're both very good at finishing drives. Like, when they get scoring opportunities – they cash them in. They're two of the better offenses in the country at that. And defensively, they're not terrible at it, but they're kind of both more middle of the road in that department. So if either of these defenses figures out a way to get stops or just hold the other team to a field goal or two, that's going to be what ends up deciding this game. Totally agree. Um, let's recall what happened in that first game. With one of the two starting quarterbacks, Kansas State was beating the hell out of TCU. They had almost 12 yards per play. All right, that game was not only not going to be a Kansas State win, it was going to be a Kansas State blowout. All right. Then both quarterbacks get knocked out. They go from averaging 12 yards of play to three. It that was the game. Now that they have their quarterback back. I we've already seen kind of a first half preview of this, in my opinion. Right. And I'm a guy that has the TCU 28 to 1 future. I think Kansas State should be favored in this game. Right. I I, I do. 
I, I've looked at some of this stuff for TCU, and I do worry that while TCU's offensive line is cohesive and very experienced, and they are extremely healthy, like they're one of the few offensive lines in the country that I can tell has had basically nobody miss games due to injury, or at least not yeah. significant games. That's, no, I'm serious. I know, yeah, but it's just it, it's one of those things in football. It's like how, the, right. the teams that end up at the end of this season with like one or zero loss, how much of it just comes down to like injury luck? And you just were hey. able to make it through the entire season without having those kinds of injuries. A, a ton. Um, but you, you look at this, right? And there, there have been some times where TCU's offense has struggled in ball games, And generally, it is correlated pretty well with really good defensive lines. So they faced Oklahoma State when Oak State's D-line was fairly healthy, right? And that really gave them trouble. Oak State was able to drop a lot of guys into coverage, and they were able to get after Max Duggan. Now, Oklahoma State lost the game. TCU won the ballgame. I think we were pretty sure Spencer Sanders maybe wasn't fully healthy in TCU's defense. Joe Gillespie, to his credit, figured out some stuff there. I go back to the Texas game. Texas defensive line whipped whipped TCU, man, up, up, up front. They really did, and TCU schemed around it. Kansas State has a strong defensive line. They do. They also, in that first matchup, they lost uh, Julius Brents, who was one of their best cover guys. I think they had a safety go down or a linebacker ejected for targeting, if I recall. Um, I, I think Kansas State is probably the best team in the Big 12, right? TCU has, has run the best. They've been the most consistent, but – I think Kansas State has a good chance to win this ballgame because I like their defensive line. They also hit explosive plays really, really often, and that is something you can do against TCU. So if both of these teams are at their absolute peak, you think Kansas State's better than TCU? So if I'm just like, – like, it's an interesting conversation to have, right? Because when you yeah. get to championship time, you're not really using your median rating on mm-hmm. these teams. You're assuming everybody's playing at their very best because they've made it to the championship, right? Like – Texas has a huge swat. I, I think Texas is uh, like, you know, upper tier of the rating is the best in the Big 12. Like Texas's A game is better than everybody else's A game, I think. But their median is lower than Kansas State and TCU. Like their consistency score is not good. I do think that Kansas State's best is better than TCU's best. I, I, I don't agree, but I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's wildly <laughs> inaccurate because I do think these are two very similar teams overall, like different styles, but just overall at their best, I do think that they match up very well with one another. And I think that's why, I mean, even I though I have a one point favorite, by the way, one. Yeah. So it, it's not like I'm yeah, saying like right. they're going to go go beat their butts, but. <clears throat> Should we be surprised that Chris Kleiman has this group here? Does it come as a surprise? Like let's, let's take ourselves back to the beginning of the season. If if we were to tell you the way the Kansas State season would unfold and um, that the Wildcats would be playing would be sitting with a number ten beside their name at the on conference championship Saturday playing for a chance for a Big Twelve title, how, how surprising is that? And, and what are the sort of the big takeaways I guess from the fact that they're even here in this place? Uh, it's just they, is it that big of a surprise? No, they were a super sexy sleeper pick. I mean, like like yeah. basically the, the Big Twelve preseason went like this do you really believe what we saw out of Baylor and Oklahoma State last year for the most part no right do you think Oklahoma is going to bounce is going to not suffer from Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma Twitter told us yes everybody else used common sense and said oh, no a lot of, a lot of but we said, said they probably should, should be favored yeah but not like not like odds on better than everybody else like you know what I'm saying not odds on favored and what do you think of Texas and then most people I think were like Kansas State can win this league 
Because yeah, I, mean, I think it was the most wide TCU's, open league. TCU's mm-hmm. yeah. much bigger surprise yeah. than Kansas State if they win it. Yeah, but like the For fact sure. that the fact that we're on TCU twenty eight to one futures kind of gives you an idea of what we thought of the Big Twelve before the season began, where there wasn't like Oklahoma's Oklahoma, and we all had questions about it coming into the year. It could have been really good just because it's Oklahoma, or we could have seen what we've seen, where it had a very down year because a whole lot of people in new spots that they aren't used to. Texas is, as you were just saying, at their A game, they're great. At their average, they're not. So there was no dominant team in the conference. So for me, when you play around Robin like this and there's no dominant team in the conference, I don't think you can have a surprise reach the pact or reach the conference championship game. Unless it would have been Kansas. That would have been a surprise. Tom and I had Kansas fifth when we had to fill out our preseason order of finish. Uh, Tom had Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas State. I had Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, Texas, Kansas State. David Cobb had them at third, and that was the highest of anybody of the CBS Sports experts when we had to put together our order of finish. Um, fantastic job by Chris Kleiman. I just when when they were in the middle of last season, in the middle they were losing all of the early slate of conference games. Kansas State fans were a little bit upset, and. My, how things uh, have certainly flipped since then. Didn't know Tulane was going to be this good either, right? Mm. <laughs> so it helps things. Yes, 100%. Coming up on the other side, more of our championship Saturday previews, beginning with LSU and Georgia in Atlanta. The SEC championship matchup breakdown next Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We turn our attention to the SEC championship game in Atlanta. The number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs, trying to get an SEC championship win. They were not able to get last year against the Alabama Crimson Tide, but The SEC West foe is LSU. The Tigers, of course, enter the game with uh, the cleaning some dirt off their knees and some egg off their face after going into College Station and taking a a big old L at the hand of Jimbo Fisher and an Aggies team that will not be in the postseason. So as we look at you know where Georgia is at in this game, the spread is very very large. I want to start with. What about LSU would inspire confidence that we're going to see the threat of an upset? How does that look? How does the game look such that we are looking up in the mid to late third quarter 
with sort of a raised eyebrow thinking, wait, is Jane Daniels going to do this? How, what, what needs to happen for LSU to be in this game late? Remember Jaden Daniels having that game of his life against Alabama? That? <laughs> yeah. He needs to have a much better game against Georgia. Better so than has, that unbelievable game. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah. he also needs to not be in a walking boot, which he was seen in. Would so help. I think that yeah. that's one of the reasons why this spread so, has gone to where it's been. Yeah, because his, his, his game is so dependent on his mobility. Um, you know, like, when I look at this Georgia thing, Georgia, their ceiling is clearly really high. They, they flexed it twice this year, basically, against Tennessee and against Oregon. And then I guess in the second half against Mississippi State, they really turned it on. Like, oh, by the way, we're, we're, we're still Georgia. Watch this. But they don't always play, you know, like a like a 30. If you use like a power rating system, that's like 30 to negative 30. Or if you use something that goes, you know, with, with 100 being top and, you know, like 70-ish being average. They don't always play like a 30 or, or, or like a 100. We know they have that gear, but they they do screw around in games this year more than I think they did last year. They're not always in kill mode. And if they play like the, like the regular Georgia is probably like a 26, 25 type thing, you know, to where they'd be like a 24, 25, 26 point favorite over an average team on a neutral, Right then they you could get them if they get, if they don't bring their a game and they get turnovers but man LSU recently that's a bad game against Arkansas mm-hmm. right i mean personally I, I i think that's a bad performance against Arkansas Arkansas got beat by Missouri they got beat by Liberty um that's a really bad game against AM LSU is sort of limping to the finish here after beating Alabama um you know they're UAB just not athletically in the same class as them. So I would also point out Mike Denbrock is LSU's OC, right? Kirby has faced him both times. He has not scored 20 points yet. He also faced Nick last year when he was Cincinnati's OC. They scored six points. LSU's got to find a way to get to like 28 to win this game, unless you think their defense is going to hold Georgia at like 17, which seems unlikely. Don't you think that's one of the recipes, though, that yes. you see the offense sputter like they did against Kentucky, like they yes. did against yes. Mizzou? Like that, to me, where if Jaden Daniels isn't able to have the game of his life, the one thing you could hope for is that the offense is sputtering for Georgia. Maybe you get a turnover. You know, if you can contain the tight ends in the run game, put it on Stetson Bennett's shoulders. Don't give up the big plays that maybe you you, you can contend and keep it tight to where at least Georgia all of a sudden is a little bit nervous in the second half. And then, like, to your point, Bud, about the killer mode, like the kill mode of them have, like, there's not that much urgency. In the back of their mind, they know, same thing, now Bama's a different story, but in the back of their mind, they're like, yeah, well, I mean, if we lose, we're still playing for the championship. There is something about that mentality that maybe you could catch them in that if you're LSU. But I think other than that, I mean, we're all in agreement. Like, it's a completely different... There's a roster advantage. I mean, across the board, there's just advantages across the board. So you kind of you have to have some wonky things happen, turnovers, you know, and getting stops. But the so, one seed, the one seed gets to pick its semifinal, correct? True. And one yeah. of them is the Peach Bowl, correct? They've got plenty. Yes, of but if you don't get to pick, nobody else is gonna. Yeah. I mean, pick the home field. Do you think Michigan would would, would pick the Peach Bowl over what's the other option? Fiesta. 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 Fiesta yeah closer to home unless they don't have to play georgia in that one mm-hmm. 
so yeah, it would. Uh, yeah, depending on if if Georgia yeah. somehow <laughs> fell to the four seed, no, Michigan's not going to pick the Peach Bowl. But I just it's at this matchup, like you mentioned, Georgia. If it doesn't go into kill mode, it can still beat LSU for sure. LSU has to be perfect to beat Georgia, and LSU has looked far from perfect in the one area where. I, I, like I said, I think Jaden Daniels has to have the game of his life. That or they have to force a bunch of turnovers defensively. Stetson has to go YOLO and make passes that aren't there and give LSU extra possessions. But like LSU special teams have killed it all season long in a lot of spots. Like you think about what happened in that Tennessee game. Their special teams killed them before the game started. And if you look like field position wise, offensively, their average field position ranks 125th in the nation. Georgia defensively ranks fifth. On the other side, defensively, LSU, because of its punting units, its field position ranks 76th. It's like little things like that against Georgia. You have to have, you you can't be giving yourself a long field against this Georgia defense and think you've got a realistic shot of moving the ball and scoring. You don't. And that's the thing. Like, they have to do things I haven't seen them do all year because it's going to sound disrespectful as hell, I know they won the SEC West. They're not a bad team, but they're not that good either. Like, we've seen them look really, really bad. I do not think this LSU team is that good. I think this LSU team had a great game against Alabama, and then Alabama also lost to Tennessee. So I think that athletically and talent-wise, LSU's defense can, if, you know, unless they're being put in horrible positions, which is possible, They can get this game to the second half where it is still a game, but it will require Jaden Daniels to be able to make some throws, which brings me to my, you know, most interesting wrinkle here. Georgia did a really, 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 really good job against Tennessee and that passing attack and against those wide receivers. Is LSU the second best wide receiver room that the Georgia defense has faced all season? Is it the best wide receiver room? Again, we still need Jane Daniels to be able to make those throws right there. Did we lose Chip? Or we lost? You lost you for a second. Okay. Sorry, you're back. When you consider, are we good? Mm -hmm. When you consider some of the passing attacks that this uh, Georgia defense has faced uh, this season and the groups of wide receivers that these secondaries that the secondary has been forced. Ooh, StreamYard's jumping all around. Yeah, what is going on over here? <laughs> I was worried it was me at work. Huh? Yeah. Man, I you think it's all, me. All the squares are jumping around? Yeah, we're moving yeah. spots. We're <laughs> jockeying for position. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so is is that a possibility where if it's close late, LSU's wide receivers are, are in a position where they could be able to make those one-on-one plays against uh, a Kirby Smart defense and be able to make something special happen for LSU? Yeah. Certainly, like that—that that is a path that Georgia or that LSU can keep this thing close and potentially beat Georgia if their guys just ball out and make plays. That I, I think I like Tennessee's receiving core over LSU's, but but I do think that they are uh, somewhat comparable, right? Um, and they had Georgia, opportunities that were missed. I mean, there was a yeah. couple plays that it, I mean, I, Georgia probably still wins the game. Don't get me wrong, but they would have changed the complexion of the game. A couple of those go routes were just slightly overthrown. Pressure does a lot of stuff for your defense. Yep. That's going to be the thing. Can LSU keep that front off of Jaden Daniels? Because we've seen he's not the greatest passer in the world. Get him pressured in the pocket. He's not going to get better. 
Is there any chance, speaking of ways, you could pull it off? I mean, we all watched the Arkansas game. Who won that game? Harold Perkins Jr., like almost by himself. And if he has another otherworldly performance like that, gets after Stetson Bennett, sacks him a couple, you know, strip fumble, you know, that's the type of performances you're going to need if you're LSU. I agree. A- and m went at him, though, directly. Right. I and say. I guarantee like, you Georgia probably will, too. Yes. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. a little light. Is Georgia the, the best offensive line LSU will have faced? Probably, I think yeah. so, and I think it's by a lot. I mean, it's I'm also the interested in the country, in, so. <laughs> yeah, like in the mobile quarterback stuff. Georgia handled Tennessee pretty well mobile quarterback-wise. They handled Auburn well mobile quarterback-wise. They – Kent State did a little bit of stuff against them, obviously, but that was a, kind of a, a weird game. Florida, they, for the most part, bottled up Anthony Richardson, and then he had a couple nice runs, right? So – and he got dinged in that game, if I recall. I don't know. Like, I, I think LSU may have a shot, but it's going to take Georgia not playing to to Georgia's ceiling. You, you need a, a like a C game from Georgia, and maybe you need like what if you know what if one of their good players or quarterback gets dinged and Kirby's like, well, we're already in the playoff. I'm going to sit you for the rest of this just so you don't get hurt more. And as for Georgia playing in their best, I'm pretty sure they will. Because they have kind of coasted through games. But if you look at how Georgia has performed in all its big games, like the games that quote unquote count the most Oregon, 49 to 3, Auburn, 42 to 10, Florida, 42 to 20, Tennessee, only 27 to 13, but they basically stopped yeah, playing. Yeah, they called the dogs off. Like yeah. It's like when they are in a game against the top competition or like the, like the rivals. They have smoked them all. The only times they've kind of messed around were against teams that weren't really a threat to them to begin with. So, do you know what rhymes with Boilermakers? Spoilermakers! (laughs) I mean, it's right there. It's right there. It doesn't happen, right? I mean, a loss for Jeff Brom against the top three team would be his first. 2-0, right? He's 2-0. 3-0. 3-0. 3-0 against top three teams as the Purdue head coach. How does it happen? Tom, Tom, how does it happen? Um, Charlie Jones gets behind the Michigan defense somehow, some way. Maccabee is able to move the ball on the ground and kind of grind them down a little bit. The problem is Purdue does not finish drives well at all on offense. Like they're actually legitimately bad at it. And you're not going to be able to pull off an upset playing the way that they have. Now they are the spoiler makers. They do save their best for these games. So it's like in an odd way, well, I think LSU is a much better team than Purdue. I think Purdue has a better shot of beating Michigan than LSU does of Georgia. And I think Georgia is better than Michigan, but I think they're far more comparable than LSU and Purdue are. But I also think part of that is the fact that Blake Corum is still hurt. I don't think he's going to be playing in this game. Uh, Donovan Edwards still has one hand in the club as far as I know. 
I don't know if Michigan can do what it did last week again against Ohio State, especially because I think Purdue will not be challenging them the same way that Ohio State was on the defensive side of the ball. But Purdue defensively is it's much better against the run than it is the pass, but like I have seen it, it's the better running backs it's faced. It's gotten, you know, they've been able to move the ball against it. So We'll see what Michigan's offensive line is able to do because that is an offensive line that I have not seen struggle with anybody. Like they didn't struggle with Ohio State, they didn't struggle with Penn State, they didn't they they didn't struggle with anybody. They won every single matchup that they faced all season long, and I think Purdue's defensive line and defensive front so far this year has been a lot better than I expected from it coming into the season, especially after losing Karloftis. So full credit to them for that, but I don't think it's got enough for this one. I, I, I just think this is going to, this will probably, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think it's going to be a lot like all of Michigan's games, kind of like we just talked about with Georgia against other Big Ten teams that weren't the Penn States and the Michigan States and the Ohio States. They're going to win. They're going to win comfortably. And then they're just kind of going to run the clock in the second half. That's kind of my read on this as well. Um, Purdue defensively, they do a pretty good job on a down-to-down basis. And they mm-hmm. give up the bomb like nobody's business. And the thing is, the opposing quarterbacks they faced are not good, man. And yet they're still rated really poorly in terms of giving up the bomb. I mean, think about this. Like, here's who they faced: Penn State, Indiana State, Syracuse, FAU, Minnesota, Maryland, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana, and that was Indiana's third string kid, mm-hmm. right? So that really concerns me that Purdue's pass explosiveness rate is that bad. They're like the inverse of A&M's pass explosive offense, right? So, you know, it's just that is a concern. But the thing is, Michigan has had opportunities to hit those this year and miss them. Part of your handicap on this game, I think, comes down to how real do you think Michigan's offense is at hitting hitting these explosive plays? Are they all of a sudden explosive? Or was last week sort of flukish? How much signal is in that noise? I don't know. I I know last week that they had – it kind of reminds me a little bit of that Georgia-Bama game last year, round one, right, where Georgia was still favored in the rematch, and people were like, how? Like, like they just got torn up. It concerns me some Michigan has not showcased that throughout the year and that they just did it in the one game. I don't think it was fully playing possum. I I think they found a way to get guys open, but they're going to have to do that again here if they want to really blow the doors off off Purdue – also, like Purdue's offense this month, they scored three against Iowa. They scored 17 against Northwestern. They put 30 on a terrible Indiana team. They have one good defensive performance, and it's at mm-hmm. Illinois. And it was they exploited man coverage well, and they got some favorable pass interference calls. This has not been an offense that has been good this last month. And they have three decidedly bad games and one good one. But can we agree it's a better offense than what Iowa fielded last year? Like yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Game and it's like, well, look at what how the Michigan Iowa game went last year. Like, this is going to be a blowout. I think that Purdue is going to be able to put more points on the board than the Hawkeyes did. Totally agree. And I think yeah, you have to look at the fact that the weather control is going to be nice. You know, seventy degrees indoors. Mm-hmm. I think in a pass happy offense like this, where so they do like to throw it around, I think those conditions might be an issue too. With why down the home stretch things get a little bit colder. Uh, it's a little bit more challenging with you know wind, all the elements that you have. I think that could be it. I'm I totally agree with Bud. Like JJ McCarthy 
So now I'm not calling him Bryce Young because he had the performance of his life against Georgia. That one felt more legit. We had seen that all season long. But J.J. McCarthy had the performance of his career uh, on the biggest stage out there. But there have been more often times than not that you're looking at that offense being like, man, I thought they made a switch because they were going to get a lot more through the pass game. So I haven't seen that consistently. Now, can he do it again? Maybe. Purdue's not that big of a challenge for him. But to me, I think that will be an interesting dynamic, especially with you know banged up in the backfield. At what point, though, with the amount of running backs we've seen go down and not much problem replacing them, do we, do we look at the running back and say, eh, it's not that big of a deal? Well, they've done a good job of recruiting it. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Ohio yeah. State and Michigan are two pretty good examples. If they lose somebody, you don't notice that much, the, the drop-off. Yeah, I, it's, I don't think it's a big deal now. Like I thought it was a huge deal in the Illinois game because it's one of those cases where you go into the game with a guy and then you suddenly lose him. It kind of completely throws your game plan out of whack. You weren't preparing for it all week. Like last week... They were probably preparing for, hey, if he's good to go, we're going to find out early. But if he's probably not, this is what our game plan is going to be. And that's exactly what happened. And I think going into this week, they probably have a pretty good idea that he's not going to be going. So they've been preparing and game planning and putting guys in all week, getting them ready to play. So I don't think it's going to be a huge deal in this game. Because like you mentioned, Chip, Purdue's going to score more points against Michigan than Iowa could. But the difference is Iowa was much better at stopping Michigan from scoring than Purdue can be. And they still gave up 42. Yeah. Wasn't that 42 to three? This, it was not close. It's I not can't right. remember the final score, but it was it was an easy write-up. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah, and anyway, that, that game will be at night. Uh, we don't need to spend a, a ton of time on the uh, the bad vibes game in Charlotte. But Just throwing our ACC under the bus? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> It'll be exciting. Yeah. Will it? it? Yes. Yeah, I think so. So we're going to have to watch DJ slumber up and down the field, getting these quarterback runs that are disgusting <laughs> and slow with these long drives. It's gonna be I love the way you said that. We have to watch DJ slumber <laughs> up and down the field. I'm so tired of the offense. It's gross. <laughs> I don't want to watch it anymore. And, and also, poor Drake May is going to get killed. Like, if he's almost getting killed against Georgia Tech yeah. and NC State, he might get killed against Clemson. He'll I think he'll make some plays. But I think NC State's defense is better than Clemson's defense. I think Agreed. that yeah. it is going to be with, with, with the DB stuff that Clemson has going on. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that North Carolina's passing attack will be able to hit some plays in this game. And it's going to be a disjointed game without a doubt. But it's pro- you're right. It's probably going to be one that we are watching late just because it's close and competitive while Michigan is icing it out. That'll be the one that we've got on as we're, you know, getting together for our 11.30 p.m. Eastern time, you know, instant reaction show. I mean, who knows? Because it's a North Carolina game, maybe it'll be a four-hour contest and we'll just be <laughs> talking about the end live on air. But uh, in it, uh, I'll open floor here. What is interesting about this game? I, I'm just, I think you will have uh, some exciting offensive plays in this ballgame. I'll, I'll save the rest for tomorrow, but like from both sides, right? Like it, it's. I think there will be a lot of points in gi- this giving game, it, says Bud Elliott. <laughs> yeah, gi- giving up twenty-one to Georgia Tech is is a horrendous effort from the Carolinas defense. Honestly, like I that just Georgia want, Tech I, team is bad. I just can't wait to see the post game if Clemson wins and DJ has a good game. Dabo's gonna be like, "I told you guys, this guy's my guy, and you guys doubted him." He's gonna come out and just try to silence all his critics. 
Yeah, you said, do like same. schedule posts on Instagram, <laughs> or, or you have to do them live. Got to ask our social guy. Meanwhile, yeah. DJ's typing away on his phone, answering yeah, texts like, from other coaches. Now entering yeah, yeah. the portal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting the hell out of here. Um, yeah, he said the same thing about Kelly Bryant in 2017. You know, after he won the ACC championship, he was like, "This guy, heart of a champion." These deuces. Um, if North Carolina wins. It is North Carolina's first ACC championship in 42 years. If Clemson wins, I they're like, okay. Right. It's kind you of a bummer. They if you're a Clemson the fan, do you want to win? Oh, my gosh. No, no, no. Like, like, It's not the whole do you root for your team to lose thing, but it's sort of the same thing that we just had with Jimbo. Like, hey, got the offense looking good in that final game of the year. There's nothing wrong with the offense, blah, 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 blah. Right? You, Which is what Dabo will say if they win. Right. Yeah. Like it, he's like, hey, people are just complaining about ACC titles. If you're a Clemson fan, do you want to get to to lose the ACC title in a bad ACC year in order to maybe make Dabo consider some changes? All they wanted was to get back here. They missed they won six straight conference championships. They missed out last year and they're like, all right, we got to get back. And they're back, but they've got none of the extra stuff that they expected to have when the game kicked off on Saturday. Mm. Interesting. Well, of course, uh, our locks for that game, uh, which it sounds like there's at least one, um, will, will be coming up on Thursday. And coming up on the other side, it's been an incredibly eventful November, and we've got some awards for that month. They cover three November superlatives next eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm really looking forward to that show. I can't wait till Yellowstone, BC. What? <laughs> Take it all the way back. See, here's like, I, I mean, I, I love Yellowstone, but I loved, I, I liked 1883 more than Yellowstone. I can't really? wait to see 19 because it's not a soap opera. Right. Like, I love Yellowstone, but it gets a little, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, you like 1883? Yeah. Okay. Now, see, now I'm going to watch it because I, I didn't. I never watched it because Danny uh, didn't give it rave critical reviews uh, during the commercial break the one time. So By the way, 
Tulsa King, first two episodes. It's pretty good. Nice. It's pretty good. Will you be watching Criminal Minds Evolutions? They got the band <laughs> back together. <laughs> no. Uh, can we shout out? Can we shout out? I don't know if it just was released during the show, but we're having a lot of people chime in with the uh, the wrapped lists, and we're getting a lot of people showing us how many minutes they've yeah. listened. Shout out to a bunch of people. Hit us up on social media. It feels like it was in the last hour. Um, I had a couple, Landon Beatty, Matt Petruzzo, Zachary Gonzalez, Mitchell Fahalik, just a few that I was looking on social media that chimed in. We were their number one listen, so we uh, we really appreciate it. It's pretty cool, man. I love that Spotify does that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, shout out to you. We've had entire days of our listeners' lives have been spent with us, mm-hmm. you know, across yeah. an entire year, almost a whole month of some listeners' lives have been spent with us. And so we definitely appreciate the dedication uh, from all of you. Keep sharing those Sp- Spotify raps uh, when you when, when you see the, the cover three pop up in there. Uh, also, speaking of Paramount Plus, if we're going to talk about it here, let's give away some Paramount Plus uh, 30-day premium plan free trials let's get those likes up to 150 likes smash that like right now and when it hits 150 uh, we will give away three 30-day free trials and it is my pleasure to introduce to welcome you here to the cover three november awards we begin with our nominations for the player of the month for the month of November. And I'd like to start with Florida State quarterback Jordan Travis, who in the month of November has eight touchdowns, one interception, 9.4 yards per attempt in four stellar games, 67.1% passer, uh, and has just been making it play. His performance against Florida was remarkable uh getting it done on the ground finding ways to escape uh i know that we've got a lot of great options here for player of the month but if, if neither of these knolls were going to mention him i wanted to make sure jordan travis got a got a little bit of love because florida state's had a great november and travis has been a huge part of it great pick yeah i, I definitely had him on my list um I mean, jordan was just remarkable against florida and i mean really good in every game uh down the stretch as well but the, the Florida game was was just off the charts. All right, since Chip took my my kind of outside the box one, I'm going to probably just go ahead and take take the obvious shot here. Uh, Caleb Williams is the guy that USC had to have in every game, right? Like if you just put a decent quarterback on USC, they lose to UCLA, they lose to Notre Dame. I mean, he's the one who's dragging that team into the playoff race. The big time throws, not turning the ball over, making big time throws on the run big scrambles, crazy stats, and they don't seem hollow. Like he's some of these throws he's making are really, really challenging throws and, and he's ripping the ball. Um he's probably making these teams out there that are tanking wish that they had tanked next year uh, in, instead of what's coming out this year because he's he's that dude. Um Caleb is my, my nomination. I mean unless you're tanking and you already have your quarterback like the Bears do. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so I Chip brings up a good one. I thought it was a great way to propel Jordan Travis into an offseason where he's going to be a Heisman preseason Heisman favorite. But I'm with Bud. I think you got to give it to the guy who probably you know just clinched the Heisman Trophy with the performances. And I do think you have to look at the edge and the competitive 
games that he had to get those numbers in. And that was the case I was making for Drake May all along, you know, through nine games of the season. And then when he faltered, we saw North Carolina lose. Caleb Williams was in the same boat. If he would have faltered, they would have lost some of these games late, would have lost him the Heisman Trophy, would have lost their chance at the playoff. So I think you have to look at the totality totality of the work, you know, the body of work in the month of November, what he meant for the program, putting him in a Pac-12 title game on the cusp of a playoff appearance with immaculate nails. Um, you have to give him the credit for that. <laughs> I I am going to vote. My vote is going to be for Caleb Williams, but I will just shout out uh, Houston's Clayton Toon, 1,637 yards, 16 touchdowns in the month. Bijan Robinson, 694 total yards, seven total touchdowns. Mo Ibrahim, 646 yards, six touchdowns. Tank Dell, 43 catches, 615 yards, five touchdowns. And then since people play defense too, another USC player, Tuli Tui Paluto, five and a half sacks, 22 pressures. He was a beast for that defense in the month. Notre Dame's Benjamin Morrison had five interceptions. And Illinois safety, Sidney Brown, three interceptions, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, and two defensive touchdowns. All right, I can, I can rock with Caleb Williams. He's the toughest games on USC schedule. The most consequential ones have all been here at the end of the season and he has risen to the occasion. So congratulations to USC quarterback, Caleb Williams. You are the cover three podcast player of the month. Okay. What about the team of the month? Where do we want to start? What are the nominations? I got one for you. Okay. And I, I wanted to put, the quarterback in there, but I wanted the team to get some recognition as well because I think they might be the most underrated team in the top 25. The Washington Huskies uh, the, and Michael Penix Jr. for what the job that he's done, but Kalen DeBoer wins over Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon, of course, on the road in that big matchup we saw a few weeks ago. Colorado's kind of everyone's beating them, but then to go to Pullman, beat their rival in that game pretty uh, convincingly, 51-33, a game in which Michael Penix Jr. had 485 yards. I think Washington is just completely flying under the radar in any sort of playoff conversation. I get it. They've lost two games, but they and they're not in the Pac-12 championship, but they, to me, uh, have got to be in the conversation for a team in November. God, that's, that's a really good pick, Danny. That's a really good one. Yeah, because I've got a lot of disjointed uh, teams on my board, and that one is just like a round resume. They went 4-0, couple ranked wins, and a rivalry win. I just wanted to say for the purposes of discussion, how do you balance a woeful 38-6 loss to Florida with back-to-back <laughs> top 10 wins, 63-38 against Tennessee, and then 31-30 in Cle- – I mean, not a single player on the Clemson football roster had lost a home game until South Carolina went in there and got that victory. I I don't know. That's That just might be a, a team that we should mention as a nominee yeah. where we have mm-hmm. to, like – consider the the loss to Florida as something that might end up meaning you lose it. But in terms of the teams that have, you know, grabbed our attention here in the month of November, uh, South Carolina, hundred percent. I wanted to, uh, to bring to the table as a finalist. I'm with Danny on Washington. I didn't think anybody else was going to bring them up, but they were at the top of my board. But uh, my other nominees are USC who also had a couple big games to finish the month. And then another one, not really big game style, but just complete utter dominance perspective. 
Penn State went 4-0 and outscored its opponents 165-40 to in the month of November. Pretty decent month. The most, I mean, like, casual 10-win regular season. Mm-hmm. Just working everybody. And worked get- everybody and got worked by Michigan and Ohio State, but they worked everybody else. Um, I, have, I have a couple we haven't mentioned yet. All right. If I, if I can nominate. Yeah. Vanderbilt. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, go. yeah. they got two SEC wins in a single month. I mean, how many SEC wins they had last year? None. How many have they, they had the last year few years? <laughs> I was yeah, going to say, right. when was the last time? <laughs> I mean, they, they were they were competitive against that South Carolina team that got nominated. Um, they got two actual wins, you know, Kentucky and and the Gators. That's a pretty good nomination for me. And I know that their month maybe wasn't insanely good. They they kind of screwed around with Nebraska a little bit. They 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 got the dub there, right? They smashed Rutgers, whatever. They, they did beat Illinois. Illinois was uh, a team that played them really well and honestly kind of got screwed on a call. Um, but then they smashed Ohio State. Michigan. And we could talk about how, yeah, like we could talk about how Michigan, the way they smashed them may not be entirely repeatable, but they don't have to go back and repeat that game because that game got them into the playoff. They broke it out when they needed to against Ohio State on the road. The, they hadn't won at Ohio State in over a decade, right? So, um, 20 years. Michigan, 20 yeah. years. It was 2000. 20, two decades. Yeah. That. Uh, that's not a bad one. All right. So, we need to we need some votes here. Michigan, Washington. What do we think? Washington. I say Washington. Washington. That's a good one. Let's do I'm Washington. Good. Let's do Washington. Congratulations to the Washington Huskies. You are our cover three team of the month for the month of November. All right. What about coach of the month? Sometimes this lines up. Sometimes it doesn't. Can I bring back Mike Norvell? Yeah. Yeah. Mike Norvell getting it done. It's my nominee. My nominee is see, this is why I, I didn't vote for Michigan for the team of the month because like they had the one big win, but they did nearly lose to Illinois at home. So it's like they weren't didn't have the best overall month. But I would go with Jim Harbaugh for coach of the month because as we talked about earlier this week, like this was a dude who was on National Signing Day interviewing for an NFL gig. Oh yeah. He lost his Broyles Award winning offensive coordinator to Miami. His defensive coordinator, who he borrowed from his brother, went back to his brother to become the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. So two new coordinators. People were wondering if he was even going to have the job. People were wondering if last year's win over Ohio State was a fluke because of the snow and it was just bad situation for Ohio State's offense. Goes into Columbus, meets the coach he talked about being born on third base, and whips his ass without his best player on offense in his stadium on a perfectly lovely fall afternoon. (laughs) I had one 500 coach in the month of November. But he had a big win yesterday when he was announced as the new head coach, Brent Key at Georgia Tech. That's I, a good one. That was one I thought of, and I included that as one of the bigger wins. Did beat North Carolina, did beat Virginia Tech, but the two losses, Miami, that's a bad loss. Yeah. And Georgia, there's no shame in that one. So I I had him in there as the bonus winner, but Georgia Tech is the big winner there. Um, 
Jim Moore got a couple wins this month. Ooh. I feel like, like like he's a he's a decent nomination there. Uh, Tim Alvin at Ohio, mm. honestly, like losing losing Curtis Rourke, who's like maybe the best G five quarterback out there, and and still getting Ohio to the MAC title game. The wagon, Probably. yeah, dude, I'm telling you, those are those are kind of my two that we didn't already talk about. So who gets it? I think it's Harbaugh, man. My vote's Harbaugh, but I think you and Danny are both voting Norvell. Sonny Dykes also would like Horde. We want to talk about Coach of the Month. How about how cool you were keeping it during the fire drill field? That's goal. a great point. Yeah. <laughs> he's been able to get. They've been able to win in different ways, and they've been, he's been able to keep this team rock solid with all of the pressure in the world. Sonny Dykes might also be a good one. Will in the chat mentions that Jimbo Fisher did finally score 30 points in a game, so maybe ah. we should nominate him. <laughs> no, actually, I'm changing my vote. It, it's Jimbo. <laughs> Andy changed his uh, offensive coordinator. Yeah. Well, he fired his offensive coordinator. <laughs> oh, man. All right, we got to make a decision. So we got a three-way split. How are we going to split this? Jordan, Jordan, what? Uh, let's get in here. It's Norvell, Harbaugh, and uh, Dykes. Harbaugh. Yeah, Jordan. All right. All right. That's All right. why he's the better producer than Coca. That's Congratulations. Why <laughs> also, speaking of coaches and Coca, shout out to Coca. Neil Brown is back. Yeah. The, Officially. Uh, that's well, this is the expectation. Yeah, yeah, with the athletic director uh, being from North Texas being hired as the new West Virginia athletic director, uh, as soon as that news broke, uh, other reports shortly came after that that the expectation is that Neil Brown will be back for 2023. All right, finally, the Cover Three Podcast Game of the Month. I've got uh, two nominations right off the top. Washington 37, Oregon 34. Was there great decision-making? Was there elite execution? No. But damn, there was drama. And there was entertainment. And there were stakes in that game. Uh, also, a little bit more off the radar, UCF 38, Tulane 31. Kind of a banger of a game uh, there in the American Athletic Conference. And we get a nice little preview uh, it was a preview of the game that we're going to get to see on Saturday uh, between these two. What uh, what are the games made y'all's lists? USC UCLA, I, I thought was an awesome game. I mean, just back and forth, lead changes. You had some good hits. You had great offense in in, in the ball game. It was exciting until the end. I that one, um, Carolina Wake, which now feels lesser because of the stakes have been lessened because they've, they've since lost to Georgia Tech. NNC State and whoever Wake lost to, what uh, Duke and maybe somebody else, I think. Uh, no, they, they beat Q's. So, Duke anyway, and NC State. It, it, it's lost some of the shine, but it, at the time, it was a, a pretty pretty dramatic game uh, that we had there. That, that would be one for me. I'm trying to think of anything else that was really, really good. Uh, you could say that. So, here was my argument against LSU over Alabama. So the conclusion was thrilling. You go for two at the very end. Um, Jane Daniels had a terrific second half. The game as a whole was kind of a dud in the first half. That game took yeah. a long time 
to heat up and get going. Alabama's offense was spinning its wheels. LSU couldn't get anything done either. That thing was like three to nothing for about 25 minutes. And then finally it sort of, you know, went off in the second half. So if you want to say that adds to your game of the, you know, if, if that adds to your game of the month type you know, interest, I, I, I would understand. But to me, it did not make my cut uh, for that. We have some Georgia fans in the chat saying that they're mad that Georgia did not get mentioned for this. And I'm curious, what Georgia game in the month of November would you like to nominate? The really exciting Tennessee-Georgia game, uh, Mississippi State, where should have been over in the first half, except they got a roughing the punter and couldn't execute in the red zone. Uh, the game at Kentucky, which was like eyes bleed unwatchable. Or they're 37 to 14 sleepwalking over Georgia Tech. Let, let me know in the chat with your vote. And maybe at the end of the show, we'll nominate one of those Georgia games that we really love to watch this month. <laughs> My nominees for the game of the month this month were the LSU Alabama game that Chip just pooped all over that he hated. Chip thought it was terrible. It's like, wow, no fun. The first half was boring. Forget the amazing second half. Um, Washington 37, Oregon 34, USC 48, UCLA 45, TCU 29. Baylor 28, then for fun, SMU 77, Houston 63, and then finally, who can forget, Illinois 41, Northwestern 3. Oh, man. Just uh, I would take Civil War. Oregon State's comeback against Oregon was also pretty awesome. Um, 19 straight runs, was it? Was SMU Houston this month? Yeah, that was, that's, yeah, I mentioned yeah. it. 77 63. But that wasn't, you know, I don't, that does, I just wanted to give it a shout out. I don't think that was the game of the month because my personal tastes, I actually prefer teams to play defense a little bit. Yeah. Like Houston losing as many defensive starters in one game as they did. It felt like that watching 77 to 70 is almost as bad as watching like 10 to 3. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it might be worse. Okay. Yeah, so there's more tension in a 10 to 3 game than there is a 77 to 70. So that just comes down to who gets the ball last. 10 to 3, mm -hmm. any single play could decide the outcome of this game. All right. So, what's, uh, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go with this? I think TCU Baylor was the game of the month. The way it ended and all that kind of stuff, that, that for me, just with the stakes, with the insanity of the ending, just the fire drill running onto the field to kick the game-winning field goal as time expired, that for me is my winner. Also a rivalry game. Yeah. Yeah. Big-time rivalry. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, I can get on board with that if I don't have support for, for USC-UCLA. Yeah, and by the way, um, Ohio State-Michigan was not the best game. No. 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 It's, it's a surprising game, and it's a yeah, and like, game. We gave it 22 minutes on an instant reaction podcast. God, I'm never going to forget that. Meaningful. Look, look, meaningful, yeah. exactly. Looking mm -hmm. up from the middle of a COVID fog, like, oh, God, we're one game in and 22 <laughs> minutes. <into this> thing. <laughs> what are we how late is this thing going to go? Oh, we um, discussed like two games before the break on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Meaningful, <laughs> impactful, like, yes, all of those things, but not like the game encapsulated on, into itself. Yeah, I say that we give it to TCU's fire drill field goal, getting the win against Baylor. TCU Baylor is our game of the month. To review, uh, Caleb Williams, USC quarterback, wins our player of the month. Washington, you are our team of the month for the month of November. 
Jim Harbaugh, of Michigan head coach, is our coach of the month for the month of November. And TCU's win against Baylor is the game of the month for the month of November. Tom, who is the lucky who are the lucky recipients of the Fernellis this month? Oh, we have so many this month. So many lucky winners. Um, first, I mean, we do the best team of the month. Why not do the worst team of the month? Shout out to Colorado for going 0-4 in the month of November and losing each game by an average of 41 and a half points per Yikes. game. An incredible performance from the Buffs. I hope you get it figured out. You know I love you. I'd like to see you winning again soon. Uh, question of the month. Talked about Ryan Day on the hot seat. How about another Big Ten East coach? Is Greg Schiano going to be on the hot seat anytime soon? Like, it, I don't it's think not, so. It's not really working out. He's gone from three Big Ten wins in his first season to two in his second and one this year. That feels like it's going the wrong direction. I don't think that they're worse than they were in those first two years necessarily. They got a couple injuries on defense, which really impacted them. They've never had a decent offense there. And the the was it year one or year two when they were just absolutely luck boxing it and, and the, the entire win-loss yeah. record was total BS. And mm -hmm. Rutgers fans kind of called us out and they're like, you guys are, are so mean. I'm like, you guys are, are like, this record is not supported by any quality play. You're just getting huge bounces. What happens when they lose the punter? That's it. Is, like, is he gone? Have we seen improvement? That's my biggest question. It's like I, I was all for Shadow going back, but it's like, I don't know, three years in, I don't really see much of a difference from where they were before he got there. Uh, my down bad fan base of the month, Boomer Sooner. Bruh. Caleb's winning Bruh. the Heisman. Link is probably going to be in the playoff if he wins. Spencer Rattler's dropping top 10 teams left and right, balling out. He, he had a great month of November himself, even outside of just those two games. Y'all can't even beat Texas Tech. Can't even win more games than you lost. You're 6-6. Six and six. You might finish 6-7, and seven, depending on where you end up in the bowl season and who opts out, who hits the portal, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we touched on this a little bit during the show. The one-man wrecking crew of the month award goes to Harold Perkins for his performance against Arkansas literally keeping LSU in the playoff conversation for one more week all by his damn self. The recency bias of the month award goes to the Athletics Heisman straw poll because every week it was just the person who had the best game on Saturday finishing in first place. Just It's a useful, useful post. Uh, <laughs> the useless team of the month, Indiana. Thanks for nothing. I hate you. Um, reverse. Oh, where'd Bud go? Reverse engineering of the month. Auburn for hiring Hugh Freeze because since they hired him, they've explained it away. And this is, I'm just going to ignore all the off field transgressions, which shouldn't be ignored, but hell, Auburn's ignoring them. So I'll follow suit. They're quick to point out the man went two and three against Nick Saban while he was at Ole Miss. They aren't nearly as quick to point out he was under 500 against everybody else in the SEC. In the SEC. Yeah. He, had, he had two or more losses in conference play mm -hmm. every single season. Yeah, exactly. He had one, I think he had one six and two season, which kind of props up the SEC record overall. And it was still under 500. So still they keep coming. Six and two season. That ain't yeah. no eight, no. That ain't no seven and one. What happened was it was a name a booster recognized. And that's who they decided they wanted. And that's who they got. Uh, curse of the month. 
the Auburn job because after Brian Harson got fired, Ole Miss and Liberty would have combined one in six. Jeez. Who were the two coaches most tightly connected to that job the entire time? Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze. Uh, I'm actually upset he left because now I don't want to do this award, but I'm going to do it anyway. The delusional cover three host of the month award goes to our own Bud Elliott for thinking he's the one who turned me against the college football playoff when he tweeted yesterday that he listened to our reaction show and he's finally turned me to his side. But I've been hating the college football playoff in this show for five years. Okay. <laughs> it is nothing new. Um, next. Uh, and this is my final award of the month. The pelvic contusion of the month award. Oh, Christian Pulisic. Goes to Christian Pulisic for sacrificing his entire pelvic region and maybe his children to get the U.S. through the World Cup group stage into the round of 16. Thank you for your service. Reddit CFB, I don't know who had the hand, who had control of the wheel, but he was like, I don't know if that man's going to be able to be a father, but he's a founding father now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Congratulations to the United States men's national team. Uh, Best of luck on Saturday as you go up against the Dutch in uh, in the knockout rounds. I've always hated the Dutch, specifically Jerry Hinnon. He is the worst Dutchman of them all. Oh, congratulations to everybody on your brand new Fornellis. Uh, there is a, a, a question in the chat right now about the biggest coach hire of the month. We'll be doing our uh, our full like coaching carousel recaps uh, coming up once we get a, a few more hires in the bag. But things have been moving quickly. And so we the, the big board is already being worked on. Don't you <laughs> worry. I you. like Elias's great comments. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we can put it on the screen. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time for our championship week locks. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply